the glory of sinless manhood, Adam stood in holy Eden. It was thus that God instructed him. In order to understand what is comprehended in the work of education, we need to consider both the nature of man and the purpose of God in creating him. We need to consider also the change in man's condition through the coming in of a knowledge of evil and God's plan for still fulfilling his glorious purpose in the education of the human race. When Adam came from the Creator's hand, he bore in his physical, mental, and spiritual nature a likeness to his Maker. God created man in his own image, and it was his purpose that the longer man lived, the more fully he should reveal this image the more fully reflect the glory of the Creator. All his faculties were capable of development. Their capacity and vigor were continually to increase. Vast was the scope offered for their exercise, glorious the field opened to their research. The mysteries of the visible universe, the wondrous works of him which is perfect in knowledge, invited man's study. Face-to-face, heart-to-heart communion with his Maker was his high privilege. Had he remained loyal to God, all this would have been his forever. Throughout eternal ages, he would have continued to gain new treasures of knowledge, to discover fresh springs of happiness, and to obtain clearer and yet clearer conceptions of the wisdom, the power, and the love of God more and more fully would he have fulfilled the object of his creation, more and more fully have reflected the Creator's glory. But by disobedience this was forfeited. Through sin the divine likeness was marred and well-nigh obliterated. Man's physical powers were weakened, his mental capacity was lessened, his spiritual vision dimmed. He had become subject to death. Yet the race was not left without hope. By infinite love and mercy, the plan of salvation had been devised, and a life of probation was granted. To restore in man the image of his Maker, to bring him back to the perfection in which he was created, to promote the development of body, mind, and soul, that the divine purpose in his creation might be realized. This was to be the work of redemption. This is the object of education, the great object of life. Love, the basis of creation and of redemption, is the basis of true education. This is made plain in the law that God has given as the guide of life. The first and great commandment is, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy strength, and with all thy mind. To love him, the infinite, the omniscient one, with the whole strength and mind and heart, means the highest development of every power. It means that in the whole being, the body, the mind, as well as the soul, The image of God is to be restored. Like the first is the second commandment, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. The law of love calls for the devotion of body, mind, and soul 
to the service of God and our fellow men. And this service, while making us a blessing to others, brings the greatest blessing to ourselves. Unselfishness underlies all true development. Through unselfish service, we receive the highest culture of every faculty. More and more fully do we become partakers of the divine nature. We are fitted for heaven, for we receive heaven into our hearts. Since God is the source of all true knowledge, it is, as we have seen, the first object of education to direct our minds to his own revelation of himself. Adam and Eve received knowledge through direct communion with God, and they learned of him through his works. All created things in their original perfection were an expression of the thought of God. To Adam and Eve, nature was teeming with divine wisdom. But by transgression, man was cut off from learning of God through direct communion, and to a great degree through his works. The earth, marred and defiled by sin, reflects but dimly the Creator's glory. It is true that his object lessons are not obliterated. Upon every page of the great volume of his created works may still be traced his handwriting. Nature still speaks of her Creator. Yet these revelations are partial and imperfect. And in our fallen state, with weakened powers and restricted vision, we are incapable of interpreting aright. We need the fuller revelation of himself that God has given in his written word. The Holy Scriptures are the perfect standard of truth, and as such should be given the highest place in education. To obtain an education worthy of the name, we must receive a knowledge of God, the Creator, and of Christ, the Redeemer, as they are revealed in the Sacred Word. Every human being, created in the image of God, is endowed with a power akin to that of the Creator. Individuality, power to think and to do. The men in whom this power is developed are the men who bear responsibilities, who are leaders in enterprise, and who influence character. It is the work of true education to develop this power, to train the youth to be thinkers, and not mere reflectors of other men's thought. Instead of confining their study to that which men have said or written, let students be directed to the sources of truth, to the vast fields opened for research in nature and revelation. Let them contemplate the great facts of duty and destiny, and the mind will expand and strengthen. Instead of educated weaklings, institutions of learning may send forth men strong to think and to act, men who are masters and not slaves of circumstances, men who possess breadth of mind, clearness of thought, and the courage of their convictions. Such an education provides more than mental discipline. It provides more than physical training. It strengthens the character, so that truth and uprightness are not sacrificed to selfish desire or worldly ambition. It fortifies the mind against evil. Instead of some master passion becoming a power to destroy, every motive and desire are brought into conformity to the great principles of right.
as the perfection of his character is dwelt upon, the mind is renewed, and the soul is recreated in the image of God. What education can be higher than this? What can equal in its value? It cannot be gotten for gold, neither shall silver be weighed for the price thereof. It cannot be valued with the gold of Ophir, with the precious onyx or the sapphire. The gold and the crystal cannot equal it, and the exchange of it shall not be for jewels of fine gold. No mention shall be made of coral or of pearls, for the price of wisdom is above rubies. Higher than the highest human thought can reach is God's ideal for his children. Godliness, Godlikeness, is the goal to be reached. Before the student there is opened a path of continual progress. He has an object to achieve, a standard to attain, that includes everything good and pure and noble. He will advance as fast and as far as possible in every branch of true knowledge. But his efforts will be directed to objects as much higher than mere selfish and temporal interests, as the heavens are higher than the earth. He who cooperates with the divine purpose in imparting to the youth a knowledge of God and molding the character into harmony with his does a high and noble work. As he awakens a desire to reach God's ideal, he presents an education that is as high as heaven and as broad as the universe, an education that cannot be completed in this life, but that will be continued in the life to come. An education that secures to the successful student his passport from the preparatory school of earth to the higher grade.